It's good to sing the songs. I am so glad to be able to sing those songs that we have and to heard the songs singing, uh, sung and, and know what they mean and know what it means to me, how that uh, the friend that I have in Jesus, it's, uh, amen, amen. I like that choir uh, special, also the, um, whatever it was that they sang, I forgot. It was so impacting. It was so impacting that I, that's a great song. What was it again? Jesus and me. Thank you. What a blessing. I'm telling you, that's, that's exactly how it's been since I've been saved. Now it's been Jesus and me throughout everything. He's the best. He is the best friend. He is the, the unbelievably, hands down, the, the greatest friend I've ever come across. And he's proven himself over and over and over again. I am so glad to know him. If you don't, you need to. Okay? You just need to get that done. It's good to see uh, Eileen here today. Uh, just uh, three weeks ago, I guess it was, her husband's uh, uh, memorial service, Al, is normally sitting right where she is and been such a blessing, such a blessing to this church. We miss him. We, we do. And it's our prayers are with you and, and uh, just so glad to see you in church. And it's, it, it does our hearts good to see that. And uh, amen. In 1 Kings chapter number 19, verse number 19, we're going to be looking at the last part of this chapter, looking at commitment. Elijah was commissioned to uh, replace himself with the, the uh, next prophet in that seat. And so he was going to be hiring his replacement. Remember the, uh, before this portion, I'm, I'm getting a little ring. I wonder if you want to knock that out, guys, if you can try to do that. Anyway, uh, uh, so here he is, he's, he's uh, kind of discouraged, running from Jezebel and even suicidal, and he's asking the Lord just end it all, and uh, the Lord says, no, there's others that they, they are standing and they will stand, and I have, don't worry about it, I've got it covered, Elijah, you don't have to worry about it, but he couldn't see the big picture as we went through last week. Anyway, so the Lord says, you anoint these three, Hazael and then uh, Jehu, and then Elisha in your stead, and uh, it's going to be okay. And so here he is in 1 Kings chapter number 19, verse number 19. So he departed thence, and he's going to do what God asked him to do, which is uh, hire his replacement and get the ball rolling on these other uh, moves that God was going to do to, to uh, uh, right the wrongs and, to, and to, to bring justice about. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again. Scram, kid. And that's uh, in Hebrew. That's the vernacular there. Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Thank you, Lord, for this, your word. I pray that today uh, you would bring some things out of this passage of Scripture that would be a blessing to us. Lord, help us to see who you used and how you used them and uh, the component that is uh, necessary 
our yieldedness. Lord, help us as we look to uh, total commitment here today. And I pray that you just bless. Thank you so much for this story and for what had taken place. And Lord, help us to gain insight from this, from your word. We ask that you'd uh, be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at Elijah, his yieldedness to the Lord and how that the Lord used him in unique ways. He was a, a, a fireball preacher. He was a spectacular prophet. Well, the miracles that he did were unusual and and uh, he was one of a kind. Uh, remember, we're reminded of his frailty, his, his humanity in biblical commentary in the, this chapter that we're in here in First uh, uh, Kings chapter 19, but then also in places like James chapter 5. In the light of his faith, his prayer life, we're told that he was just like any of us. His prayers were um, unbelievable. His, what he get, got accomplished with God was just unbelievable. But uh, look at what James says about him in James 5, 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There in the last part of that verse. And then he says, and talk about an effectual fervent prayer. Talk about God using and answering prayers in an, in an unusual, spectacular way. Elias, talk about Elijah. That's the New Testament spelling there of, of Elijah. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and earth brought forth her fruit. Wow. I mean, just that story alone, just uh, those prayers in itself were just amazing. In this passage, we're told that he was unusually effective in his connection to the Lord. He was a righteous man, the Bible says. He's referred to as fervent. He's uh, referred to as a righteous man, a prayer warrior, warrior of noble results, a man of great faith and power, all to wow any biographer. I'm telling you, Elijah was a one-of-a-kind. He was spectacular. But it's precisely in that context that we are assured of his common weakness of being a man. James says he's subject to like passions as we are. It's just like us. There's nothing special about him. There's nothing so overwhelmingly spiritual that he's you know, walking three feet above the ground. No, he was a man just like you and I. Just like any one of us. He, he dealt with morons and spiritual midgets and, and opposition to his causes and ignorant people and idiots and Seattle drivers. <laughs> you have to pray for my wife because she, she's in the passenger side. She's trying to calm me down. I've got this, this uh, what does the doctor call it? The... Uh, Blood pressure, yeah, not not road rage. No, no. <laughs> I guess you could call it that. Every once in a while, I'm driving behind somebody saying, "Why don't you just move and let me go on?" You know, and I'm just kind of so impatient. I'm from Chicago. That's where I got to learn how to drive. You know, and and uh, anyway, uh, and my wife is saying, "Now calm down, calm down." We pass by and it's a little old lady, and oh, you're so mean. You know, and I'm no, I'm just right. <laughs> 
But if you have to deal with people around you that are like that, you know, and then it's just kind of frustrating. You know, Elijah had to deal with frustrating people around him. <laughs> anyway, um, he's subject to like passions as we are, the Bible says. And he had his own fears, his own insecurities, his own prejudices. Elijah actually had physical limitations. He was dealing with emotional difficulties of his own. Depression. I mean, that's how you could see the chapter right here, the story right before our, our text. Looked like, it looked like he was dealing with depression. It really sure did. Failures plagued him as much as ours do. Now, if God can use him, he can always also use me. And he can also use you because we are of like passions as he was. He was like us. Talk about insufficiencies. We looked at his physical fuse box malfunction, you know, when he was there after the uh, uh, Mount Carmel experience and all the victory there and, and uh, God uh, being identified and clearly uh, articulated. And then he's dealing with Jezebel and running for his life. And it just seemed like, you know, a blue fuse there. The blowing of his emotional electric breaker connection and the running from Jezebel's threats. He's like, wow, what happened? He was worn down. The guy was worn down. He, was, he, he seemed to be reclusive at this point. He didn't want to be around people. That's kind of symptoms of depression, huh? Even suicidal. Lord, I'm, I'm done. Just take me home now. I'm finished. I guess it was a, a breakdown. I don't know, and it uh, doesn't say, but uh, that's about a cl as close to an emotional breakdown as you'll see in the Word of God. Why do we have such an aversion to admitting that we're human, that we are finite, that we're frail, that we're weak, but we are, all of us. It doesn't matter who we are, all of us. You may think that I'm some kind of a superman, but God knows my frame. He knows who I am. What a great contrast in the presentation of man compared to God in Psalm 103. Let's look at this. Psalm 103, verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Thank the Lord for that. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Man, he's got great mercy. And it's it's that much. It's, it's that overwhelming. He piles on the mercy. And I'm so grateful for that. I, I'm singing these songs earlier, and I'm just I'm weeping and thank, thank, thanking the Lord that I, I, my name is written in heaven. It's written in glory, and he saved me. Why? But he did. I mean, his mercy is, is as high as heaven is above the earth. Verse 12 as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He didn't say as far as the north is from the south because there are poles. <laughs> there's an end of going north and could be buried right there and you'll find them. But you know, there's going east and west, it's infinite. He says, no, no, he's just taken our sins away. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father, father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And then it says, for he knoweth our frame. 
He, he knows what we're made of. He knows that we, we're, we're temporary here. This is, we don't have eternal strength. Not, not people, not, not men, not women. He remembereth that we are dust. We're made from that. We're going back to dust. And the Lord knows that. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But, in contrast to man and our finite and our limitations, but the mercy of the Lord, now that's a different story. It's from everlasting to, to everlasting. I mean... God's mercy is infinite. Wow. Upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. God's fidelity, his goodness, his providence, his protection to us is eternal. It's overwhelming. It's, it's unfathomable. We are finite. He is infinite. Well, <clears throat> Elijah was a servant that was finite. He was weak. He had difficulties. He had problems. He had his own particular character quirks, I guess you would say. And, and God used him. God used him greatly. That's what we should come away with when we see Elijah and the problems that he had and everything else. But, and God used him in a big-time way. In this study of the character of Elijah, we'll see a few of the characteristics that made him to be uniquely Elijah. Nobody else like him. Good or bad, he was Elijah. Beneficial or not, what made him up and how he was and his relationship to other people, this, this was Elijah. And this, let's see how the God used him in accomplishing divine will. So let's take a look at some of Elijah's personality traits. You could say frailties, you could say failures, weaknesses, but his, some of who he was, and it's shown in this passage of Scripture. It's really fascinating. First of all, you see that he was impatient. I thank the Lord that he was, because <laughs> I have hope. <laughs> there was no uh, thoroughfares there, and maybe when he was in his chariot, he drove, drove like I do. But, hey, he was impatient. And you take a look at the, the, the text here, First Kings 19, verse 19. So he departed thence, okay? God told him, go get your successor, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. By the way, uh, Elisha was no slouch. He was a businessman, and he was in charge there. He was the one, remember, was, had the, he, he didn't have to check anybody to say, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to take uh, uh, this unit of oxen and uh, the tools and burn them and, and destroy this because I'm going out and we're going to feed the community. No, he didn't have to do, he was, he was a business owner. He was very successful to have 12 units of these oxen that were plowing. It must have been a, a, a great amount of, of uh, field and he was probably very uh, uh, reputable, wise, wealthy. He was, he was a, a go-getter. And so he, he comes across Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. <laughs> Look at what it says. Elisha, Elijah, sorry, passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. We sing the song, there's a choir special, uh, let thy mantle fall on me, Lord, let thy mantle fall on me. Um, 
he, he's, he's going by him, and he takes his overcoat, and he casts it on Elisha. He doesn't stop. He's not there to, to uh, have conversation with him. And matter of fact, he doesn't explain anything to Elisha. He just passes by him, casts his mantle upon him. And it says that his successor, he had to kind of come to grips with what was going on. And who did this? He knew who Elijah was. Everybody knew who Elijah was at that day. He was uh, more famous than Ahab. He was more famous than Jezebel. He was, he was the man that, that prayed and, the, and the, the, the sky withheld its, its water and for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and, and gully washers from, from heaven. I mean, they knew who Elijah was. And so here he, he gets this mantle that's thrown upon him. And <laughs> Elijah did not stay and talk or explain or anything. He passed by him. And the guy had to run after Elijah. He says, wait, wait a minute, hang on, hang on. And so he, he run, Elisha is there catching Elijah. So Elijah was doing what he was told. And that was it. No more. He wasn't going to go to try to convince anybody. He wasn't going to sit there and beg. He was not going to plead. He was not going to try to make it easy on Elisha. He didn't even stay around to answer questions about the job. <laughs> That's amazing. He cast his mantle and he kept going. Elisha had to run to catch up to him for conversation. Okay, God, if this guy is going to fill my shoes, then he's going to have to fall in line. Stat, right now. I'm not, I'm not going to wait for this guy. I've got no time to babysit. I'm not going to burp and change his diapers. If he's not 100% committed, Lord, then you're going to have to get somebody else because I'm not going to do this job. It seems like he's awfully impatient. And I'm sure that the Lord assured him that Elisha was willing and Elisha was ready and he was anxious, even more excited and desirous than Elijah was to get the Lord's will accomplished. And he was. And when you take a look at Elisha and, and who he was, who he became, look at the response of Elisha. With that short and that small connection, Getting the mantle tossed on his shoulders, he bolted. He got up and he runs after Elijah to, to, to try to figure this out and get a grasp on this. See, the mantle signified the respected article of character that made up the man of God. It made Elijah who he was, his mantle. Elijah's mantle was akin to Moses' rod. You remember, he picks up that mantle and he, and he smites the waters and the waters uh, part. And he walks over on dry ground. It was that mantle that God used with Elijah and then later with Elijah. With Elijah. And, and so he was, it was that, that article that made him uh, uh, identifiable, if you will. He, he made him who he was, akin to Moses' rod or Joseph's coat of many colors or Gideon's trumpet. Or David's swords and shields. You remember when he, he uh, valued that sword of Goliath in his tent. Solomon's ivory throne. Daniel's stuffed lion. <laughs> you think he didn't have a stuffed lion after that experience in the lion's den? I think he did. Kind of like that big love sack that we got at the, at the house. You know, this big thing. I love just j jumping in there and getting all comfortable and that's what happened when he was in the lion's den 
God shut the mouths of the lions and, and he was there living that night in with the lions and, and got good sleep. How in the world? Because I would assume that a lion makes a great pillow. <laughs> I don't know because I'm not trying that. But hey, that's what he did. You know, it's that love sack when I got, got, got married and I had two things were going to stay in the house. I mean, you, you can change everything and do whatever you want to do, but the love sack stays right there. Love that thing. Just jump, jump in it and just, amen. The other was the motorcycle and it stayed, by the way. <laughs> anyway, so here, you know, I, I kind of think that Daniel had a stuffed lion just to remember about what happened that night. He's sleeping it every night and say, isn't that great? Isn't that what God did here? Wow. Uh, could be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's gas barbecue. <laughs> Who knows what they they had to commemorate their night in the in the um, heater, the the uh, furnace that was heated ten times more than anything else. So anyway, so we're talking about Elisha's mantle, a man made up who e e Elijah was, and Elisha caught it. He understood what it meant. He says, "Hey, man, this is this is significant. I'm getting Elijah's coat, his mantle, his overcoat." And so he, he, he kind of understands, hey, wait a minute, there's a transference here. I'm, I'm uh, chosen to do some, some work for the Lord in, in, in a, a unique way. He understood what it meant. But Elijah wasn't going to make this easy on Elisha. His attitude, it seems here, was, okay, Elisha's either coming or not. If he doesn't come, he loses out. But I'm not, I'm not spending any time here. He was impatient. He, Elijah was also ambiguous. He didn't explain much in what was going on here. I mean, Elijah was told by God, you go after this man, Elisha, who he was, where he was going to be, and this is what he was going to do for you. Elijah did not explain any of that to Elisha. Look at verse 20 again in our text. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my my father and, and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? He wasn't going to give this apprentice an easy time at all. He was going to have to earn everything he's going to get. And that's his attitude. This request from the assistant could have been an indication of his lack of commitment when he says, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, let's, uh, I'll follow you, but I got a few things to do first. And maybe it was, maybe Elisha's, and, you know, Elijah's kind of testing him out here, but he's thinking maybe Elisha's just not real serious about this thing. Maybe he, he didn't count this as a, as a big deal, and he didn't have a high priority in his life. Others have said the same thing, but revealed that their words and intentions were not harmonious. They could say one thing, but actually what they did. Their heart was a totally, in a totally different place. Such is the case with Luke chapter 9 in verse number 57. Jesus talked to, to some people that they were, they were trying to say that they were really committed to him, but he ferreted them out and, and he, and he kind of uh, revealed their, their heart's condition. But it's interesting when Jesus spoke to these people. Let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 9 verse 57. And it came to pass... That as they went their way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou go. Anywhere you go, Lord, 
Anywhere you go, I will follow thee through thick and thin. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no mountain low enough. You know, that kind of thing. I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, uh, I wonder if you know what you're talking about. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Wow. That's a commitment. I mean, really, forsake everything? Is that what you're saying? Because Jesus did not own a house or a chariot or real estate. Verse 59, and he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of akin to what Elijah said? So this guy says, let me first go and bury my father. But see, the problem was his father was probably still alive. What he's talking about there was, now wait a minute, I've got some responsibilities in my family. Maybe he's the oldest one or whatever, and maybe that responsibility was to take care of his own family, and he's got to wait until his dad passes off the scene, and then he'll go and do whatever else. I don't know. Maybe you know he was expected to take the, the family business. Who knows? But he says, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Verse 60, and Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at, my, at home at my house. Now that is exactly what Elisha said or asked, he requested of Elijah. But this guy wasn't. He didn't have total commitment because look what Jesus said, verse 62. Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He, he's basically saying, you don't got the commitment that, you're, that you say that you have. Oh, no, I'll follow you. But, you know, it just wasn't a big high priority. Hang on. You know, it wasn't real, real, real important to him. It wasn't like, you know, drop everything and go. No, no. He says, you know what? There's some other things I'd like to do and all this kind of thing. And, and Jesus kind of rebuked him in his answer. He says, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're looking back. Each one of those were, were sound and reasonable and logical. There were requests that were not out of, out of the, the ballpark. Only Jesus, knowing hearts, he rebukes each one of them for the noncommittal attitudes that each one sported. In each case, Jesus was shaking them awake to the reality of, number one, you don't know the extent of the commitment that I'm asking. And the second guy, you don't know the time limitations that you have. You only have so many years, and if you're not going to serve me now, you'll probably never serve me. And that's what it, really what he's saying. You don't know that you have tomorrow. If I'm asking you to serve today, hey, how many of us are there? Someday, preacher, someday... I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do this. I'm going to you know, be faithful financially. I'm going to uh, teach a class or I'll, I'll learn this or I'll do this or I'll witness to my coworkers or someday. And God says, you have today. You have now. You don't have tomorrow. How about now? That second guy, he was saying, you don't know the time limitations that you have. The third guy, he says, you don't know the priority of the task that I'm asking you to perform. Wait a minute. This is, this is priority. This takes precedence. And Jesus was right in challenging each and every one of them. This last guy was asking exactly what Elisha was asking for, merely a proper goodbye to loved ones. He wouldn't. But that's not what he meant. And like I say, Jesus knew his heart and saw his heart. 
That man in, in Luke was not fit for the task because of the lack of commitment that would command his whole life. If you're going to serve God and serve him with everything. He would waver between serving and staying back and doing what God wants and doing his own will. And Jesus said, nope, that's not acceptable. Would to God that we had servants committed to 100% and their determination to give everything, everything, everything on the table. All to Jesus, I surrender all to him, I freely give. Is that just a song? Do we mouth the words? Or does that mean something from a few of us? From many of us? How about all of us? 100% commitment. So it was in line for Elijah to question Elisha's motives when he says the same thing that this guy said. And so he's looking at him kind of, yeah, right. This is important. I don't know if you, uh, but Eli Elisha proved very, very clearly, and we'll get to that in a little bit, where he, no, no, he, he did mean it. And he was serious about a total commitment, burning the bridges, not going back. But, okay, uh, Elijah was impatient. He was ambiguous. He was discouraging, if you will. He, he didn't seem to be helping Elisha out much on this, this uh, 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 task that he was uh, asking him to do. Look at verse 20 again. It says, and he said unto him, go back again. For what have I done to thee? Scram. Get out of here. I didn't, I didn't promise you a rose garden. <laughs> I beg your pardon. So you could say that Elijah made it difficult for others to sign up for service, if you will. But you know what? That's okay because if they can't take the heat of the difficulty in the quiz, then they would definitely not be able to take the heat of the kitchen of the trial. Because Elisha would be called upon to do some incredibly difficult tasks. Jeremiah 12, 5 gives the same sentiment. It says, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? When it's flooded and you've got, Jordan is overflowing, if you've got peace and, and you're having a hard time then, what about when, when difficulties come? If you can't run with the footmen, how are you going to contend with horses? And folks, let me tell you something. You want to get saved, and you need to. Everybody should be saved, but it's, it's not a picnic. The, the beginning, the beginning of my battles and strivings and, and difficulties started when I got saved. When I was a dead fish just going down the stream with everybody else, no problem. No contention with, with my uh, uh, landscape. It was only after I got saved and then started going in a different direction. That's when the rubber meets the road. And that's when the trial began to come. <coughs> You think this is tough, God saying, then think again, it ain't nothing. And that's what Elijah was trying to get across to Elisha here. When Elijah says, get away from me, kid, I didn't promise you anything. He was saying that there are no guarantees in the Lord's work, and there are not. 
I want to say that and say it, say it very clearly. Some, sometimes what we like to say is, you know, to, to, to trick a person into get, getting saved. Listen, if you get saved, then God's going to answer all your problems and you're going to be wonderful. And it's going to be a uh, liar, liar. That's not what happens, folks. No, no. Sometimes that's when the persecution starts. It begins. It begins to get tough once you get saved. But we, we kind of want to shield that. You know, uh, somebody that is against the Lord and his things and against church and all that kind of stuff, and we're trying to witness to them and say, listen, uh, you know, I ain't never going to that church. It's okay, just get saved. Don't worry about that because just get saved. And, you know, uh, uh, God, you know what we really got to say is, you know what, if you get saved, God's going to change your heart and you're going to come to that church. <laughs> That's what's going to happen, you know, and you're going to be part of those kooks that you're against today. You know what I mean? Because that's the truth. We try, to, we try to kind of shield it. We try to kind of make it look like, well, no, you're not going to fail. No, no. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. And that's what he's saying. And there are no guarantees in the Lord's work. You sign up for service, and he may have need of some ultimate sacrificers. That gives everything. Martyrs. You know what a martyr is? Somebody lays down their life. Sometimes people look at that and, and would be maybe even easier than a daily living sacrifice. The difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice is a dead sacrifice, you kill it, you put it on the altar, and you give it to God. And some are actually called upon to do that. But then there are living sacrifices. You could put that bullock on the altar, and it gets up and, and walks away. you got to get it back on the altar. And then the next day it gets up and walks away. And that sheep, comes, you put it back on the altar, and that sheep gets up and walks away. And that's a living sacrifice. It takes a continual commitment. And, and listen, sometimes God might ask for martyrdom even. But you may come home wealthy and respected, or you may be called to spill your blood on the front lines in a foreign field someplace. Pastor, don't, don't paint the picture too bad, or some of our parents will not shield their kids from becoming missionaries. It's the truth. It's the truth. We're promised nothing but his presence and his providence here. Even though that he has all power, we may not have access to that in his divine determination. You remember the three Hebrew children that understood this in their challenge to the king? Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And he says, hey, we don't need a long time to try to determine what our answer will be. This is it, right away, right off the, out of the chute. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. He says, listen, if it be, if God decides to step in, he's more powerful than you. He can protect us, and he will do that. He's got all power, but that's not what they, they said. They didn't stop there. Because they understood there were, were scores of others who had given their lives in situations like this. Verse 18, but if not. You know what? If God's decide, God decides to bring glory from our lives in a different way instead of sparing us from death and he decides to allow us to be killed. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Bring it on. Go ahead. We're ready for the fire, and we're ready to become ashes. 
They were laying their lives down on the line. Now, God blessed them in a marvelous way. They didn't know that. They didn't, they didn't read that at the end of Daniel. It wasn't out yet, you know. Now, look at the meager effort to recruit his replacement. Where Elijah is having a hard time with his own attitude, his own, you know, uh, uh, idiosyncrasies, his own personality traits. He's impatient, he's ambiguous, might be discouraging. But look at the wonderful, the total commitment that he got from Elisha. Look at verse 21 of our text, 1 Kings 19, 21. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave it unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. I'm telling you what, there was, a great, there was no greater commitment. He's, he gave it all. He says, I'm, I'm decided I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. If it's something different than my successful business, I'm, I'm, it's, all, it's all God's. It's all God's. Elijah, Elisha wrapped up loose ends when he, it says he returned back from him. He, he went back there to deal with his people and, and, and explain, I'm leaving. And he, and he made sure that his business was in the hands of whoever else that was, was his little brother or whoever else was, was around. He, he wrap up the loose ends. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, uh, shirking his responsibility. That's what it says. He returned back. He, he truly did just want to be polite and proper with his own family to say goodbye. That's what it was. And that's what his heart, his heart was, was committed. He was just going back to say goodbye. And that's what he did. He wrapped up loose ends. He burned his bridges behind him, it says, and he took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen. You can't use those oxen anymore to be plowing. <laughs> They're done with their plowing days now. I mean, you can't go back on that one. And he was determined. He says, no, this is, this is going in one direction, one way. I'm not going to be returning. And, and he, and he uh, burns his bridges behind him. There's no turning back. He couldn't. There were no more tools, no more livestock, no more job that he had. He was leaving there, and so he burned his bridges behind him. And he made it public. Look at that in verse 21. He gave it unto the people, and they did eat. He called everybody to, to, to share in his, this celebratory testimony that he had. I'm, I'm doing God's work. And he told everybody else. He says, this is where I'm going, what I'm doing. I'm out of here. <clears throat> While he made it public, others would also hold him accountable to his claims. He come back the next Tuesday. Well, that didn't work out. Wait, you said, now wait a minute, Elisha. You said, you know, sometimes we, we don't tell people our commitments because they, they know and they remember. And they'll, they'll come back on us, won't they? They'll say, wait a minute. You said you was a believer. You said you, hey, you said you got victory over that. Now you're back at the bar, or now you're doing this again, or now you're in that relationship. Whoa, what is going on here? Hey, you can't not, you can't get away from that if you're public. So be public about it. Just go ahead. Listen, you get a new job, let those of, of those that you work with know that you're a believer. Let them know that you want to honor the Lord. I mean, it's, it's not the secret disciple stuff. Just be public with it. My question to you is, how does your commitment look? How does my commitment look? 
Is it 100%? Is it truly a total commitment? Or am I flip-flopping like Jesus said, putting my hand to the plow and looking back, and hand to the plow and looking back? You can't make a straight furrow that way. How is my commitment? How is your commitment? Are they all words? Or is it genuine? Listen, the mantle has fallen upon us. Pick it up. You got a job to do. Serving the king is worth every sacrifice that there is. Back at the turn of the previous century, there were, it, it was, it's weird to kind of hear about meetings like this, but there was much faith and much things that were going on in, in churches and spiritual things, but then there was also a, 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 an upsurgence of atheism. And they, they wouldn't call it atheism, not like the atheists nowadays that are vicious and whatever. It was just people that are departing from the faith and they're going into science and into uh, this enlightenment and everything else. And so there were agnostics. You called them agnostic. Atheists and agnostics that would actually have, have uh, 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 meetings, kind of like what Trump is doing now where he has a meeting and there's 20,000 people there. Well, they would have meetings of their agnosticism to deny the faith, to talk about, hey, we're in a new age now and we believe in science. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah that's, that's what it is, where, where they were, they were uh, uh, pushing the, the, the uh, extolling science and education and all of that. And, and there was a, a man, one of the more famous men, Robert Ingersoll, who would have these meetings and just spew out his his uh, faithlessness. And he was at this one particular meeting. I don't know how many people were there, but the crowd was just, it was just packed, packed auditorium, a civic auditorium. And he's going on and on about there is nothing past the grave and, <coughs> and there's, there's nothing to put your faith into. And, and we, don't, we don't trust this. We trust our, our uh, uh, intelligence and our determination and science and education and, and humanity. And, and he was going on and on and on. And, and, he, he, and then he, and in that kind of a, in that kind of a, a, a spewing of his, of his doctrine, He'd shame anybody to be following the Lord. And he says, so is there anybody here that would stand for God? And there were two women right in the middle auditorium, two little women. Just both of them just stood up looking at each other and they just, they were just frightened to death. But they had faith. They didn't say anything and preach anything. No, they just started singing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. And you know what? There were believers in that crowd, and there were others that they were listening to what was offered that night, and they joined in with that, those, that chorus and those two little women. 
And they, they picked up on that second verse. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict and this his glorious day. Ye that are men now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. And then the, the entire crowd seemed to pick up the, the song as they, they sang as, a, as it was a church service. Folks, God's asking me what my commitment is today. I want it to be everything. I do. I want to give him everything. I want to just do what the Lord wants me to do wholeheartedly. Nothing withheld, 100%, all to Jesus. I surrender. He's worth it, folks. He's worth it. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts today. And Lord, help us as your people to stand up.